0: listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and check us out online at beardedtheologians.com. You're listening to the Bearded
1: Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And, and today we have a special guest with us. We have uh, George Acevedo, who is the lead pastor at Grace Church, which is a United Methodist Church in Southwest Florida. George, we're, we're glad to have you on and, and thanks for the time uh, being here. Would you uh, start us off and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your ministries?
2: Okay. Uh, well, um, I am uh, a... Um a grateful follower of Jesus, um, and uh, a pastor, privileged to be a United Methodist pastor in the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, and um, I've been serving here for 21 years, Um, so it's been a a good run of ministry, and um, uh, we've got a couple of sites, uh, but I tell people, um, you know, don't think of the kind of the mega church, multi-sites, and we do have five campuses, but uh, we're, um, the, the campuses are primarily in working class, blue collar, uh, working poor, and very poor communities. Um, and, um, and then something that we're pretty excited about that's um, getting a lot of traction. We've been learning a lot from the Anglicans and the Methodists uh, in the UK, and we're doing a lot of work with Fresh Expressions. And so we've launched a couple of dinner churches, and uh, we have a couple of ministries that we're transforming into Fresh Expressions of Church. Um, uh, to create new spaces and places. Um, um, that's that's kind of on the ministry work side. I'm married to Cheryl. Um, next Monday will be 36 years, and so it's a good long run. And we have two adult sons, um, uh, one who's uh, 33 and married and has given us uh, four beautiful grandkids, and then I have a younger son who's 29, uh, who is a, a, a chef in training, uh, an amazing young man named Nathan. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, we love living here in Southwest Florida. It's a beautiful part of God's world. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wonderful.
1: Thank, thanks for sharing about that. I, I got to have the pleasure to meet you earlier this year in, in New Mexico and, uh, just kind of sit and pick your brain about a lot of this stuff. And, and, uh, while you're out there, you talked about your, um, relatively new book. It came out earlier this year. Um,
2: tell us a little bit more, um, about that. Sure. Um, uh, we got approached by uh, our denominational press, Abington, to um, uh, write a book, and um, uh, I, I pitched to them the idea that um, uh, one of the pastors here and I have known each other for uh, more than thirty years. I've known he was in my youth group when I was in seminary, and he's now a pastor on our staff. And so we have this very um, cool symbiotic uh, kind of ministry relationship that kind of dates back from youth ministry to some internships and, uh, now, now together here for the last uh, 12 years, uh, at this, at this site. And, um, uh, he and I had done a series of messages, uh, around the Wesleyan understanding of grace, uh, this whole idea of prevenient and justifying, sanctifying, and there's this other aspect of grace that we Wesleyans believe in glorifying grace. Um, and, um, so we were, we had done a, series of messages of of sermons here, and that that sermon series then got translated into a book and a DVD called uh, A Graceful Life, Um, and uh, we just kind of basically walked through the reality that uh, all of life is under this amazing umbrella of grace, whether we know it or not, that we live under the amazing uh, unmerited love of God for us all. Uh, that from the cradle to the grave, from the womb to the tomb, from our first breath to our very last breath, that we live uh, under grace. And um, we talked about how it is that we experience these different dynamics or aspects of grace. And so uh, it, was a, it was a fun project, and uh, it seems to be helping people uh, across the church. We're hearing good reports about how it's just kind of opening new portals for people to understand God's grace in a fresh and a new way
0: so um so it's it's a group study and a kind of a sermon series thing uh so and you said you've had you've heard of some great success um do you have any like stories of anybody that, that has shared with you the experience that's made with them or you know from maybe even from the sermon series itself that um kind of
2: yeah i mean you, you know when we uh for example when we talk about a, a provenient grace um we we kind of came up with this idea that um uh, if you use the, one of the greatest words in, in the Bible is the word even, uh, and you kind of look at that word and kind of do a word study on that, on that word. And, and uh, we, we, we discovered that, um, uh, uh, that uh, prevenient grace, this wooing grace, this drawing grace of God, we called it even their grace. That, uh, you know, Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? I go to the heights of heaven, you are there. Go to the depths of hell, you are there. Uh, it doesn't matter where we go, even there, you know, your grace finds me. Um, and uh, I, um, uh, I, I I, think that's one of the the, the most important uh, understandings, biblical understandings that we have of who God is and about how God would I – mean, we kind of get somebody loving us because uh, we love them. There's this kind of reciprocal thing. But this amazing idea that that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe – is a crazy in love with us and is loving us even long before we recognize God's love for us. Um and uh, uh I talked about how we talk about in the book how hard it is even for um those of us who are who are followers of Jesus to to em- embrace that. And, and that God's love um uh is not simply um for for those who who love him back, you know. Um and so, so for example when I was in Costa Rica I was preaching at a at a seminary there in Costa Rica to a bunch of um, village pastors uh, in the Methodist Church. I'd been invited there to to do a week of 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 instruction, and uh, uh, I was teaching about uh, a prevenient grace. And I and I and I said that there had been people in our church here in Southwest Florida who had come to Christ um, in some very odd and different places. We've had people come to Christ in strip clubs in bars and those kinds of places and you got to understand latino culture um it's uh god god in his presence and his power is pretty localized it it, it like so there's this great understanding that god's at work in the church but not so much in a bar and so uh i i know spanish enough to make me dangerous and i'll say I, i said el señor está ahí which means the lord is there and and I was trying to say, as e you notice that in La barra, in the bar, the Lord is in the strip clubs, the Lord is, and they were looking at me like, dude, we're not buying what you're selling. I was, Nay, you know, they're leaning back like, okay, here comes a heretic, you know. And uh, and uh, and I'm I'm dying a thousand deaths up there, and finally this guy in the back of the room raises his hand. You know that kid's song, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Okay. Um this guy raises his hand from the back of the room, and he was the one of them that was not like the other. The others were dressed in these little uh, uh, guayaveras, his little one, you know, formal shirts or suits and ties. This guy was tattooed, a uh, full beard. You guys would have liked him. Uh, in a Harley jacket, and he stood up and he said, Can I testify? And I said, Please, you know, rescue the preacher. He's dying up here. And he got up and he told the story about how he had been uh, – drinking one night in a bar in mexico he was the leader of a of a uh, motorcycle gang in costa rica and he had been uh uh, uh uh drinking in a bar one night as he came out of the bar he said one of those stupid christians hand me one of their stupid tracks and i grabbed it and threw it in my backpack uh, and uh, jumped on my harley drove away he said several months later i'm in a bar in costa rica i pour my last uh, uh drink of out of the bottle of rum that i drunk that whole day And I went upstairs uh, to uh, pull the gun out of the the bag that I had to blow my brains out because I had no hope for living. He said, instead, I reached in there and I pulled out this little track, you know, he said, I began to read it. And uh, he said, it made sense that the God of the universe loved me and would give me a new start and a fresh start. And he said, I I became a, a Christian that day in the top room above a bar in Costa Rica, and then he said, El hey, Señor está ahí, the Lord is there. And all across the room, you know, everybody, yeah, the Lord is there, the Lord is there. And, and I think that uh, that's kind of a, a powerful illustration as to that, that God is at work in our life long before we know that God's at work in our life, that God is trying to woo us and draw us into a relationship with Himself. And um, uh, we sometimes miss that. Um, I, I know God's even their grace better when I kind of turn around and look back at. At, at God's grace in our life. And so, um, you know, those kinds of stories, the books made up of a lot of those kinds of stories about uh, prevenient grace, this wooing, drawing grace, justifying grace, that whether it happens in a moment or over a season, when we come to that sense that uh, uh, we want to give as much of ourself as we can, to as much of God as we understand and and, and make that, that decision to follow Christ. Uh, and then the sanctifying grace, which we kind of sometimes lift up as a hallmark of ours, as followers of Jesus in the Wesleyan way. Uh, and then finally, um, glorifying grace, which is interesting. Uh, I never preached the message on God's glorifying grace, this grace of God that takes us from life into death. And, uh, I was sad to say that in my, you know, right at 30 years of ministry, I don't ever remember preaching a sermon on that. I had preached sermons about heaven and all that, but never talked about glorifying grace. And, um, uh, uh, I did research and in the research I discovered that um, Charles Wesley's doctor said of to Charles of the early Methodists, you Methodists die well. And uh, there was this sense of assurance that we had. It's ironic that, you know, for John Wesley, a big part of what drove him to Aldersgate in that experience was um, that he was afraid of death on the, on that boat trip from Georgia back to, to the, to England. And so um so that's been a, a rich part of our Wesleyan heritage, this idea that we can live at peace even as we transition from, from life uh, temporal to life eternal, and that there's this grace that carries us through. So yeah, it, it was a fun project, and uh, uh, the, the, the DVD is really Wes and I, uh, this uh, other pastor that we co-authored the book, kind of just sitting at a table and having conversation with each other, kind of new material that leads into some questions and answers for small groups.
1: You know, and that's, that's the, I think that's the thing was as, as, God, maybe Methodist <laughs> believing in in these doctrines of grace and and as pastors we do poorly is telling the story. We like to talk about you know grace is there, grace is with us. You know there's prevenient and sanctifying, and yet we don't back it up with those stories. And so having those stories of somebody standing up in the back going, hey, let me tell you how grace is working in my life. Those are huge. Yeah. Um. Because you, you know as well as as we do, you know even sitting here in our congregations, we can say, hey, we're we're seeing people in the coffee shop, in the bar, in the grocery store. And, and here's, here's how grace is working in their lives. And they're going, well, it's, but it's here, yeah. you know, it's here in the church, not, not there And you know, each Sunday I tell my church, go, please, yeah. please go, <laughs> you know, leave this place and yeah. take this grace and love with you, yeah. but yeah. bring those stories back. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we've gotten really bad about telling, not telling the story,
2: Zach, I sometimes will, when I'm invited to speak in different environments, I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, of, of our tribe, of our Methodist tribe, I'll say, you know, we believe in Provenient Grace. We just do ministry like we don't believe in Provenient Grace.
1: Right. You know? <laughs>
2: and, uh, sadly, you know, uh, we think it only happens in that room, mm-hmm. you know, from 10 to 11 or from 11 to 12, uh, instead of recognizing that, you know, um, there's a lot of grace in cinema. I, I My wife and I, we just went to see uh, Justice League, and I don't know if you, if either of you've gotten to see it yet. But uh, it's a great, you know. I'm an old comic book guy, and it's just a great, you know. You got to go see Batman, and, you know, and and it's interesting that the the themes of this this epic movie are uh, the Trinity, uh, resurrection, salvation, and community, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mission. I mean, I'm going like, dude, they're, <laughs> they're telling our story better than we tell our story. You know? Right. And, uh, and, and, and that's grace. I mean, that's, that's God's grace at work. Again, whether the cinematographers recognize it or not, they are grabbing the great themes out of this book, the Bible. Mm-hmm. They're grabbing the great themes out of this book and sometimes, sadly, and many times, telling it better than we do. Uh, telling the story, to, to your point, Zach, telling the story. And uh, we got to get better at, at just telling the story, particularly the story as it relates outside of the four walls of the church. Um, and um, because many people outside of the walls of the, of the church um, are not going to connect to the story that we tell out of this book, but they'll connect to the story. Um, they'll, they'll, they, can, they can engage into God's story as they hear God's story in your life in every, you know, you know, whether it's at the softball field or whatever, which ironically, I don't know if we want to transition into this Fresh Expressions thing, that's really been a gift to our church, um, you know, for decades. I've been here two decades, uh, more than two decades in the same community, and I've busted my hindquarters along with a, a large group of people here to try to do things out in the community that draws people into the doors of the church here and um, you know we've even gotten pats on the backs and accolades for doing it pretty well but but ironically there are generations particularly of millennials uh, that it doesn't matter what you do out there to draw them in here and even how cool it is in here you can have the best lights and sound and smoke machines and the greatest sermons and you know bring in personalities and all the rest they're just not going to come they're just they're just not interested um, uh, for a whole host of reasons that we probably don't have time to get into today, but they're just not interested. So, um, you know, I think we have a, have a spiritual and missional obligation to figure out how we can make coffee shops and pool halls and bars and community centers and little gazebos and parks uh, into um, little missional communities um, and value that. And, and value that people are going to move at a different pace around this journey of grace in their life. Um, and uh, we're starting to experiment with it and we're seeing some remarkable results mm-hmm. um, that this grace isn't just for this place, you know, but that it, that it really, that, that this grace is out there at work that God is b- bigger than the little boxes that we sometimes put God in. Right.
1: I've got, um, we're, we're, we're beginning to work that way in my my new appointment. I've got three churches, and one of them's in a community that's um, shrunk to under, under 200 people. They lost their school a couple of years ago. And so that's really, really shrunk the community down to where it's our church and the bar. Those are the two open facilities during the week. Wow. And uh, I've, I've started gathering my people uh, in this little bar, and we had a Bible study uh, last week of about 10 people, uh, all over the age of 60, uh, in this bar. And I, one of my, my members at one of my bigger churches or my bigger church, uh, got a phone call from a lady up the road and said, Hey, um, how do you like your pastor? You know, I understand he's new. How do you like him? And she said, Oh, we, we like him pretty good. And she said, do you know where he's doing Bible study? She said, yeah, he's doing it up at, up at the bar. And she said, yeah, I know I'm going next time they have it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's getting out of that. And people are, people respond yeah. in fascinating ways.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, again, if, if, if we really, I mean, if we think carefully about what we believe about Ravinia grace, mm-hmm it really is that the God of the universe the, that we understand as the triune God um, is at work in every human being. Right. Uh, one of my favorite stories to try to communicate what Provenient Grace is, is I had a buddy that uh, was a, an accountant in Louisiana and he, um, uh, like myself, he's a grandfather, and there's something about being grandfathers. You two guys are way too young for this, but I'm just telling you, being a grandfather is so much better than being a father. I mean, you, know, <laughs> you sugar them up, and you send them home, you know what I mean? And, uh, and you just get to spoil them, and it's cool. It's kind of revenge for for your own kids and the kind of the hell they caused you when they were growing up. <laughs> um, so uh, we were talking one day, and he was telling me about his new grandson named Paxson. And Paxson was born prematurely, and you guys know, your pastors, uh, often premature babies have uh, lungs that aren't fully formed, so they put them in those incubators. Um, you know, they're kind of made of plexiglass, you have to put gloves on, or a hazmat suit to hold them, you know, kind of deal, because they're so sensitive. And uh, he said he was going to the hospital every day to see his grandson, Paxson, and he said it, it didn't satisfy, I, I could hear his southern draw, did not satisfy my my sensibilities as a grandfather. And uh, he, was, uh, he was telling about how um, he said, but I have learned this of my grandson. My grandson, Paxton's crazy about me. He just doesn't know it yet. And, uh, <laughs> and I pondered on that, and I thought, you know, that's the condition of every person on this planet as it relates to God. They're crazy about Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's provenient grace, that there is this, you know, N.T. Wright calls it this echo of a voice. Uh, you know, uh, Blaise Pascal, God-shaped vacuum. Uh, St. Augustine talked about the, this, this sense of our hearts are restless until they rest in the... It, well, whatever language you use, talk about it. it is this sense that the God of the universe um, has more at stake in this thing of people engaging with his grace than we do. Um, you know, one of the things I love about our Wesleyan theology is we don't think grace shows up when we show up. We believe that grace is already at work. And we just get to come alongside what God in his grace is already doing in this planet. And and so that can happen in a bar. Mm-hmm. That can happen in a strip club. That can happen in a, you know, that can happen in a, a, a baseball diamond. That can happen in, in those kinds of places. But I think what Fresh Expressions has done for us is helped us rethink our strategy. Because our strategy was, let's go out there and let's do some cool stuff. But the idea was still to draw em into this place. Right. To to then to be able to validate that the bar where you're meeting at with that group of people is a place of discipleship every bit as much as the church down the street that you mm-hmm. pastor as well, and and that's been the piece that's been kind of liberating for us is to say, you know, no, we don't get to count them on Sunday morning worship attendance, you know, uh, uh, we just count them in another category, and um, um, and we're figuring out ways to walk with people. Um, uh, every bit as deliberately in their discipleship in those environments as we are in, you know, small groups and Sunday schools and the other kinds of what we would call more traditional stuff that we do in the church.
0: Yeah. And I found it, um, I was thinking of one story for me, um, this last year I uh, started reffing, uh, little league basketball games That's and, cool. um, the uh, first couple of week days of the tournament, uh, it was a little rough. I, you know, people said things to me that, you know, you would you probably wouldn't ever utter to a pastor if you knew they were a pastor. And then all of a sudden, I was reffing Saturday, which is Champion Saturday, and it's one of the more hostile environment Saturdays. I knew this coming in. I'd reffed a couple of turns before. And so, I, I mean, I was ready to, to take my blows and, and to hear all the words. And then finally... I went up and talked to this coach after the game who happened to be a brother of another United Methodist pastor who, I mean, they looked exactly alike. And I said, Hey, do you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, I know this guy. That's my brother. I said, Oh, I love that guy. You know, we work together on all these things. I'm a United Methodist, I'm the United Methodist pastor here in town. And after that game, I guess word spread that that's what I do. Because the conversation and timbre of the room changed. Oh, yes. I was told when I made a mistake, but it was kind of funny to hear like, you know, we didn't have to feel like we had to throw anybody out. We didn't feel like yeah. the, uh, but it was kind of fun to, that that was happening. And the guy that I was refing with, he, he leaned over to me in between one games. He said, what's going on? I said, I think they found out I'm a pastor and they're afraid to say anything now. <laughs> he just sat there and laughed. And and part of me thinks that that whole idea of presence, um, whether it's like one of the things I love doing and it's something that I started when I got here is we have a group of men that get together uh, on Wednesday morning for a Bible study, breakfast and Bible study. And, um, you know, just that whole idea of presence of being, you know, present, but letting people know that hey, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. We're, you know, we're having Bible study in a bar. We're having Bible study at a breakfast joint. Yeah. Um, we're getting together to pray with each other at a gazebo in town. Um, yeah. I was working on a proposal for our farmers market that we have here in town to do communion um, yeah. at our farmers market and getting people equipped to to you know show that people's that grace exists outside of the walls of the church and. Yeah uh, you know, George, I thank you for, for, you know, doing that and, and lifting that up, you know, for us. Cause that's something that I feel like the church needs to hear. Um, yeah. and, and we can preach it, you know, we can preach it in the pulpit on Sunday morning, but you know, the real reality is, is can we model that outside of the wall? You know, can we model that in our jobs and, and equipping people and saying, yes, you can do this. And, yeah. um, that's something that we've really been focusing on here is that to equip people to go out, um, in the community and knowing that, um, you know, ministry exists, you know, in their jobs, you know, whether they're school teachers or retired and, and that there are ways to be active and involved. And, um, we, we've really found that life giving around here. Um, just that simple, it's almost just simple permission giving the pastor just saying, yes, go out into the community and serve. <laughs> um, and, and I think that that's a huge thing. Uh, I know one of the things that your church does uh, really well, George is, um, uh, celebration of Recovery Ministries. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that um, and talking about your your guys's experience with that?
2: Sure, sure. I, I have to get a little autobiographical. Um, um, I, I, I am a, a grateful Christian in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction and codependency. Um, it's a part of my you know family story. Um, uh, I, I, I have a family that that was uh, you know deeply. Um, uh, addicted you know uh, particularly on the, the men in my family uh father grandfather uh, older brother um and uh, even my younger son has struggled with addictions and so it's a part of our family story um, it's a part of the the a beautiful mess that is our family and uh and so um uh, I, I i i would not have when i was in seminary interestingly enough I would not have self-identified as a drug addict or an alcoholic. Um, it was really, ironically, through the ordination process that I came to terms with um, that this was a family disease. And indeed, the that my drinking and my drugging were the ways that I processed, uh, even sadly, I would say after I became a Christ follower, were ways that I sadly processed um, kind of my own personal pain and the pain of of my of my life and my family. It was my brokenness, it was my disease. So uh, um, uh, you know, uh, Rick Warren has this great line. He says, "You attract who you are, not who you want to be." Um, and um, uh, you know, my own story is a story of addiction and brokenness, family of origin, brokenness. And um, so, uh, my ministry has always kind of had the kind of that flavor to it. Um, uh, I came to Christ uh, in very late high school. Um, so, I wasn't kind of like raised in the church and, you know, it didn't go to church camp and, you know, didn't do all those kinds of deals. So, I didn't have the kind of uh, religious and spiritual memory, uh, which I, I don't paint that negatively. I'm just saying I just did. That wasn't my story. Um, so, um, uh, I started hearing about um, uh, this church in California that was doing this thing called Celebrate Recovery. Um, by that time, my brother had got into recovery. By that time, I had, I had begun my own recovery journey and um, uh, uh, heard about this, this church, a uh, Saddleback Church, that was integrating uh, the Christian faith with the 12 steps. And uh, a generation before that, there was a, an author by the name of uh, Keith Miller, uh, uh, J. Keith Miller, who had written some books that, uh, that had kind of a serenity theme to it, it interwove again, scripture and the 12 steps and uh, uh, you know the sacraments and those kinds of deals. And I was very intrigued by all of that. Celebrate Recovery kind of became a model. It's not the model. I'm very careful to say that, of, of um, integrating um, biblical uh, material and the 12 steps and particularly uh, owning Jesus as your higher power uh, and not just some generic higher power, but Jesus as your higher power. Uh, and yet yet staying very committed to um, these uh, very tested Um, very faithful steps that Bill W. and his colleagues had developed uh, that we now call the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so uh, uh, at a previous church before coming here uh, 21 years ago, uh, I I was able to be part of a little team that planted a Celebrate Recovery on a Friday night at our church. So I got to see it really, really um, attract people who would not typically step in the doors of a church, but because of the desperation of their life and because of what we were offering uh, they would they would come um, so when I got here twenty one years ago, uh, church was in serious decline uh, you know it was a, it was a, it was a mess um, uh, within about uh, three years or so i came in, I came in uh, uh, ninety six and late ninety six and uh, by um, January of two thousand uh, so three years and a few months. Uh, we had um, raised up a little small leadership team, and we launched uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, in January of 2000. Um, and um, uh, it was uh, little did I know that it would become one of the most defining moments in the history of this church. As we started with a you know um, with a relatively small group, and uh, it now has grown to um, involve many hundreds of people who come on a weekly basis to one of our campuses. Um, to recovery ministries. We, we have about a 1,000 people a week that are involved in either traditional or Christian recovery, uh, all of them using the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, it has become, uh, for the church, this great portal to help people. Um, and ironically, it's been from both directions, and here's what I mean from both directions. It's been from, I sometimes say, some people come in on Friday night, that's the night we hold Celebrate Recovery, and they gravitate towards Sunday morning. And those are miraculous. It's wonderful to see. They typically live in both of those faith communities that are housed at this at this church. But one of the real cool things is to see people from Sunday morning who wouldn't necessarily self-identify as being a drug addict or an alcoholic, but they might struggle with codependency or anger, anger or sexual addiction or financial addiction or uh, nicotine addiction or any number of things, and they gravitate from Sunday morning, to Friday night, and it's really kind of a cool thing to see them uh, to see them come alive uh, in their own spiritual life. And then, ironically, um, I didn't know this when we started this, but ironically, I discovered about 15 years ago. Uh, we're now in our 17th year of doing this, but I discovered 15 years ago that um, that the early Methodist movement did this. Um, that for John and Charles Wesley and that early leadership team. Um, they developed United Societies and Classes and Bands, um, these series of larger groups, and the, they got down to you know, smaller groups, these bands, where people would meet together for spiritual formation and accountability. But that there was a fourth group that I had somehow, I'm sure I was taught in seminary, but I don't remember it. Uh, it was in the mix of the fire hydrant that is seminary. Uh, uh, I, um, uh, there was a, a, a fourth kind of group that Wesley had called the Penitent Band, and it was a band of, uh, of men and women who, who couldn't live up to the rigors of, the, uh, of the, the societies and the bands, societies, classes, and bands, but still desired to grow in Christ. And Wesley put them on um, Saturday night, uh, to, in his words, to keep them out of their old haunts. That was a great, word. Mm, that's a great you know, word. Yeah, they keep them out of their old haunts. And uh, they would meet on, uh, on Saturday nights. They had a class leader that would meet with them. And they basically would slow the process down, and uh, it was rigorous in its formation. Uh, and Dr. Michael Henderson says, he says, uh, it was um, uh, similar to today's Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and it was primarily made up of, uh, of men and women who struggled with alcohol, uh, but who desired to grow in grace. And so they had this kind of special place for them on Friday night. So little did I know that this was a part of our Wesleyan DNA. Um this idea that um, we would engage with people at, at their you know basis, most broken place, and that this grace of God could help people um, you know excel in their life and in their in their spirituality, and their walk with God.
1: So with it, I, I've done a, done a lot of research, um, the, just the latter part of this last year, on, on the bands and classes and societies, and, and in particular the bands, because we've really gotten away from uh, that style of ministry and actually coming together. You know, we, we, the closest thing we might have is an accountability group, you know, outside of a Celebrate Recovery and things that are super intentional. Um, but we've really gotten away from that for the whole church, uh, for, for the general population or for the entire population of coming together and having those moments of confession and those moments of coming together and (laughs) saying, here's where I am. Here's where God's working in my life. I need all of you, your help, you know, uh, and walking down this journey together, we've lost so much of that. And, And it's, hadn't been any time recent I mean we lost it before Wesley died I mean that was that was his biggest fear that these would go away and they went away Um, but recapturing that idea like you say in these really intentional places like Celebrate Recovery and the 12-step programs but also uh, bringing people from Sunday out of Sunday and into these spaces to have these conversations to be open and honest with about themselves and with each other uh, for no other reason than to come closer to God. Yeah. Uh, and that's a huge step forward and something I hope that we begin to recapture.
2: Well, yeah. I am with you on that. I, uh, after reading, um, uh, the, the book, um, the class meeting, uh, uh gosh, my main, so I'm dropping drawing a blank teaches at Candler school. Um, after reading that little book, um,
1: uh, and you know, he
2: basically says that there, there are three kinds of, um, groups that we have, you know, there are kind of affinity groups, and there are informational groups, and there are fellowship groups, but he says what we're missing that's kind of the core of who we are as Wesleyans was this accountability, um, this gracious accountability Mm -hmm. uh, where, uh, you know, uh, where we're watching over one another in love, Um, and um, I've been very blessed. I've been a part of a pastor's covenant group for 26 and a half years, so for really the long run of my ministry, it started when I was pretty fresh out of seminary. I'm um, just now passing my 30th year, I think, last year. So, you know, pretty early in in, in my ministry journey, um, I saw a generation of pastors in my conference in front of me that were doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, really, they were they were pastors that I uh, loved and aspired to be like, you know. I mean, I, I think I hope to pray in a healthy way. And, um, and I said, well, if they're doing it, then I need to do it. And so I got in this group and it's been 26 and a half years. And and these are the guys that, um, you know, hold my feet, have held my feet to the fire to be a better husband and father and better pastor. Um, and most importantly, a better follower of Jesus. Um, these are the guys that hold me accountable. Um, I travel quite a bit speaking in a lot of Methodist circles and these are the guys that, you know, say, Hey George, are you, not watching stuff on the internet that you shouldn't be watching, Uh, you know, with, you know, maybe I don't know the numbers. I keep hearing 60 to 80% of men struggle with pornography. It's something that somebody has got to watch over our soul, if you will, Mm -hmm. of all of that. And I could lie to them and it is possible, but they're asking the question and I'm trying to be as honest with them as I can um, and, and do that. And um, uh, uh, yeah, it's a part of what I think is missing. And it's interesting because in a typical church like the ones that the three of us pastor, we would like put up right at the top of the list of kind of the most spiritual people, you know, folks that are going through Jim Harnish's the Wesleyan way book and fill out all the blanks. And we kind of go, yay, way to go. You're the best person in the world. And, but if we were to say to them, who asks you the question, how is it with your soul? We're likely to get the dumb stare like uh, right. nobody, you know? Right. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm on my high horse around this one, I'll say, you know, don't say you're a Methodist if you're not in a small accountable group. Um, you know, and um, and I and I do think that really that's a part of the core practices of the Wesleyan movement, and um, and uh, we've got to figure out creative and innovative and new ways using technology like we're doing right now. I mean, why couldn't a group of seminary friends, because of Zoom and other kinds mm-hmm. of uh, platforms, be able to do that kind of work regularly um, in, in those kinds of environments. So I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Zach, it's just a, it's something that we have to reclaim if we're going to experience the vitality of sanctifying grace. We keep coming back to the right. grace thing of this sanctifying grace piece. And, and the thing I love about connected to the 12 steps and the, and the, and the celebrate recovery, the thing I love about the 12 steps is the 12 steps does a better job at creating that kind of environment than the church does. Um, in the 12 steps, when you get to the third step, you darn sure better have a sponsor, because you're not going to do the fourth step without a sponsor. You're not going to do your uh, fearless searching moral inventory, where you litany off you know the people that you've hurt and the people who've hurt you and the assets of your life as well as the liabilities of your life unless there's somebody kind of lovingly peering over your shoulder to keep you honest and to ask the tough questions about that kind of work. And so, you know, I've been prone to say, and and truly believe this, that the 12 step community, um, traditional 12 step, I'm talking about where they believe in, they don't believe in, you know, it's higher power. It's not the triune God, uh, you know, it's the higher power that they do a better job at discipling their folks than we do in the church. And, um, and we've got a lot to learn from the 12-step community about that.
0: And I think that's, a, that's, that's what drew me in uh, to what you all are doing, because I think you said that at um, Church of Resurrection many years ago. And um, ever since that time, I've kind of just been sitting back and studying it and then, you know, prayerfully, you know, when uh when would be a good time to talk about this in a congregation and it seems like just as when I get ready to do that I get moved. Uh that's just the brilliance of our system. <laughs> but, um but I'm hoping in this current appointment, I'm hoping that this is actually gonna be a long term thing. Yeah and 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 that's been the conversation since day one that we've been having is, you know, what can we do to 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 make deeper disciples of Jesus Christ? Because you know we could I think any church can go and um you know we can, we can put up a dog and pony show and, and people are going to come and, sure. but, but that's not going to make disciples. And, and we've been, we've been wrestling since I've been here, you know, this whole idea of what does it mean to be a disciple and what does that look like? And how do we, you know, cause the whole idea of being a disciple is replicating and how do we replicate that uh, for, for our congregation? And, and, and I know that that's like the big push right now, you know, the big buzzword in, in our denomination is, you know, do you have your discipleship plan? And it's just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, um, and so, you know, I think that there are opportunities for that out there. And, you know, um, you know I think what you all do is just brilliant uh, because you are meeting a need uh, in, in a big way. Uh, and, and that's something like in Oklahoma, where we have some of the higher uses of, of opiates and, and other, you know, issues that I really wish our churches would kind of look at and say, hey, you know, maybe we ought to think about this and, and get people together and on board and, you know, yeah. that sort of thing.
2: Well, it's clearly the uh, opiate epidemic has has come to everywhere. I mean, you know, we think of it as an urban problem, but it's it's probably worse in the rural settings than it is in the urban settings, Mm -hmm. just because of space and, you know, breaking bad kind of probably helped that, you know, (laughs) Uh, where, you know, where that's just a part of the, it it is a part of the, the fabric of America today. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think, you know, one of the things that, that I've said uh, and written about some has been this whole idea of what I call spiritual malpractice. And it's the idea that I define spiritual malpractice as offering Jesus the healer without offering the people, the places, and the processes for people to heal.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and and so what, what well-intentioned, seminary-trained, you know, yeah licensed people like us do is we stand up and we say, you know, Jesus Christ can fix your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your life is better if you connect your life to Christ. Your life will be more fulfilled and meaningful and if we're honest we say it doesn't mean life's going to be easy. You're going to still experience the same hardships that everybody else does, but you will have, you know, peace at the center, you'll have an anchor, you'll have a family, you'll have the resources of the kingdom of God to navigate through life's difficulties. And and I believe the people that are sitting in our church that are listening to us are going, yes, I want that, I want that, and then they say how, and they might get the dumb stare from the you know, join <laughs> a Sunday school class, you know, or uh, or come to my Bible study, uh, and and that's that's good, but it's not complete, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not you know I mean. Look at the ministry of Jesus. I mean, we, you know, I love John Wesley, but I love Jesus more. Um, You know, uh, look at the ministry of Jesus. He invested in 12. You could argue that he really invested in three, in Peter, James, and John. And so, I mean, when the God of the universe was thinking, what's the best way to have the loving overtake of planet Earth? God said, I'm going to send myself through my son um, and uh, be born of a virgin. We do that whole thing. Uh, we're right at the cusp of Advent. And and I'm going to set up a big tent and speakers, and we're going to draw big crowds. No, that's not what he did. <laughs> he, he called 12 men and a handful of women around him, and he poured and invested and modeled it for the kingdom and then basically said, I'm getting ready to go, and I want you guys to do what I've done. and Last ahead two thousand years later, and I mean, I happen to pastor a mega church. I hate that term, but you know, we think that that's the epitome of what it means to be right. faithful. And I just don't believe that. Uh, I just don't. I I, I think uh, I honestly think that it, it's more about um, these these tight knit, uh, and I don't mean closed in, but you know. The, the, it's, it's about disciples of Jesus who are living richly and deeply in community with one another. And um, that's significantly bigger than drawing a big crowd. Because mm-hmm. you know? um, one of the things you've got to remember, you know, it's interesting, it's John 6, 66, you know, 6, 6, 6, 6 is, is is that verse that talks about people abandoning Jesus because what he said was tough. Right. Uh, what You know, the invitation. And we have to be careful that we, it keeps coming back to the grace thing, that we don't, you know, that we don't, and I've been guilty of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to stand up and repent of this. That we don't, we, that we're not guilty of of selling cheap grace instead of costly grace to borrow from Bonhopper. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, we need to invite people into this great adventure of following Jesus. But remember that we're inviting them into a disciple journey, a journey of being a, a follower of Jesus, and and that that. That inc- that involves my cooperation and my sacrifice and my self-emptying and all of those kinds of things to be fully engaged in it. And I'm still on that journey myself. I'm not the poster child for it, but try- trying to trying to figure out as I get closer to sixty how to do it better. So
1: right, well, and that's what's so refreshing about these conversations and why we have them this way, because those that are listening aren't likely part of mega churches. Uh, they're all in rural communities. They're, they're trying to figure out how to be a part of these groups. They're trying to, they're, we intentionally created this space, this podcast to create space for that, mm-hmm. uh, for people to come together, have the conversations and be a part of, of a community that otherwise they wouldn't have, um, or, or could have it on the go, you know, to, something that fits them. Yeah. Um, and so to sit down and be like, look, you've got three people here that we don't have a clue. You know, we don't have it figured out yet. We're just trying. <laughs> we're just trying to move and get better to, you know, tomorrow than we were today. Yeah. And, um, there's a lot of grace in that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but that's the thing. It's just, just finding those spaces and finding the opportunities and it, it, us as pastors, um, in, enabling and empowering not only ourselves, but the people in our midst, to create these spaces as well, to be with people, to, uh, you know, send those folks out as yeah. well.
2: Yeah. I, I, this is morning, uh, this is Tuesday. And this morning, uh, I, I was meeting with a group of uh, about a dozen guys that we've been meeting together, you know, some constellation, not everybody's the same, but for almost the full run of the 21 years I was here. And ironically today we, we've been walking slowly through uh, first Corinthians and we've we bought N.T. Wright's, uh, you know, uh, the Bible for every day, for every the name of that book here. Uh, Yeah, here. Yeah, uh, this, this one, one, uh, uh, First Corinthians for Everyone. And we were working through it. And, um, uh, you know, so we'll take, you know, three years to go through a book of the Bible. We just kind of go really slow. And it was interesting today's conversation. This is a group of, you know, I was the only paid Christian in the room, you know, <laughs> uh, it was just kind of 11 guys from the age of, you know, 70 down to 35 maybe, and uh, 11 of us sitting in the room, and we're talking about what does it mean for us to protect the unity of our group and how do we live in covenant with one another. We're not doing it perfectly, but uh, we're doing it pretty well, you know. We're doing it pretty well, and uh, we're, you know, two of the guys got cancer in that group. They're in their 50s, have cancer, and we've been praying for each other and and holding each other up and, uh, you know, asking each other tough questions. And so we're figuring it out. You know, we're figuring it out. And I think that uh, there's a lot of grace in all of this. Uh, we got to be careful that we also don't, in the midst of all of this, enter into kind of a perfectionism and works righteousness, uh, you know, right. that we earn our salvation the old-fashioned way. You know, we, we work hard for it, you know. And that's not, you know, we still, we're still we not only just saved by grace, we live by grace too. So. Right.
0: Well, George, we, we thank you for your time. Uh, we know that you uh, have a busy schedule probably like all of us uh, <laughs> or at least have something next on the plate. Uh, right. and, and so we thank you for your time. Uh, you know, you're more than welcome to always come back and, and be on. Uh, we've enjoyed uh, the conversation. and fun. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, when you have your next book out, just let us know. We'd be glad sure. to have you on. Yeah, uh, I
2: just got a contract today or a conversation <laughs> today about my, my next book. That. Perfect
0: so yeah we'd love to have you on and so um we just want to thank our listeners for listening and uh, encourage our listeners to go on our website at beardedtheologians.com. We've got all sorts of great content uh, going up. Uh, we've got coffee mugs and all sorts of good swag uh, that people can purchase for great Christmas gifts. Uh, realize that the bearded theologians are not just about uh, Zach and I, it's about just uh, basically coming together in a conversation uh, and, and just doing it in new and exciting ways and actually even old ways of just yeah. getting together and having conversation. And so, uh, George, we thank you for
1: your time again. And yeah, so thank I'm, you. uh, I'm Matt Franks. And I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out.
0: Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and we hope that you share our content online uh, through Facebook and social media. And we hope that you check out our uh, Beardcast store at beardedtheologians.com and pick up some great Bearded Theologians gear. We hope you have a good day.